welcome if you are here for the first time. Um, Uzuma is going to read the passage for us. We'll pray and then we'll begin. Um, 1 Peter 4, um, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength of God that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your very grace towards us. We thank you um, for the strength that you supply, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, um, I just pray that you would help me to communicate clearly. Um, but ultimately, I pray that you would speak today through your Holy Spirit to your people. Amen. Okay, so the passage, as you heard, is First Peter 4, chapter, um, sorry, chapter, no, First Peter 4, excuse me, verses 7 to 11. <clears throat> Forgive the lack of visuals today. Um, yeah, I can't really say much more about that. After Dean's visuals, I was under pressure, so I was like, nah. Um, <laughs> um, Guys, feel free to move forward if you wish. I know, I, know you like, I know you like sitting back and I know you don't like being moved, but it'll be nice, it'll be cosy since there's fewer of us today. Okay, let me try it this way. I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ to move forward. Um... Thank you, thank you very much. It's getting nice and cozy. It's a bit like Austria now, nice and cozy, except for with, without the mountains or the, the lake or the castle or the sunshine. Yeah, or the coffee shop. Okay, good. Guys, what do you need when you can't take another step in the Christian life? What do you need? Or what do you do when your service becomes a chore and your brothers and sisters are jarring you? Like asking you to move to the front. In the book of Exodus, which tells the story of God's chosen people, Israel, and their escape from slavery in Egypt, and their journey to the land that God promised them, Moses, who leads the people on God's behalf, he gets to the point where he's so worn out by the people's idolatry and having to plead with God on their behalf to spare them all the time that he asks God something. <coughs> he asks God something that will give him the strength to carry on. And he says to God, please show me your glory. And we often pray that God would be glorified it's such a Christian thing to say, isn't it? 
What's the chief end of man? What's the chief end of man? Of course it is. And we're always banging on about God's glory. It's the central theme of the Bible, isn't it? And in John 17, Jesus is longing to get back to the glory that he had with the Father before time began. And Hebrews says that the Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. But what is God's glory and what does it mean for our lives? So I want to suggest that Peter was well aware of God's glory. And like Moses, it was his goal to see it in his and the lives of other people. In chapter 1 of 1 Peter, Peter, who at the time was talking about Jesus, says this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Joy inexpressible and filled with glory. And I want to ask, what do most of us really know about that? For sure, Peter does go on to say that for now we're grieved by various trials. And I'm not trying to say that we are only to ever be joyful. It's often right that we mourn and feel the weight of a fallen world. But no matter how fleeting, what do we know about joy inexpressible? What do we know about being filled with glory? That's what Moses was after, and he tasted it, and so did Peter. And we do, don't we? And maybe it's for moments at community group when you're in discussion with someone or during a sermon when a preacher says something and God's revelation comes alive to you. Maybe it's whilst you're praying with someone, you know, and you just have a real tangible sense of the presence of God with you. Maybe it's when you're meditating, you know, you just had that text and you're churning it and churning it over in your head and you're transported to a place like, the, like Isaiah. You see a clear vision of who God is. But a lot of the time it's different, isn't it? A lot of the time we're just pressing on. We're either indifferent or we're just flat out sinning. Often we don't care, and often we don't know how to care. <clears throat> it's my prayer that we would see the grace and the glory of God in each other daily in practical ways. Let's get into the text. Verse 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So, straight away we have a statement, the end of all things is at hand. And in light of this fact, we have a command. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. And attached to this command is the reason that we ought to obey for the sake of your prayers. <clears throat> Essentially, Peter is saying something like this. Because the end of all things is coming, pray, pray, pray. 
You need to keep a lid on indulging in your impulsive, immoral behavior because guess what? It draws you away from prayer. It draws you away from talking to the living God. In the section before us, Peter lists some indulgent practices. Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. And the point is that the people who are involved in said practices lack self-control. They're impulsive, and this is a way of life for them. Now, since Christ came into our lives, some of us have grown beyond this particular list. Some of us are still caught up in alcohol abuse or sexual immorality of all kinds. However, wherever we are on a spectrum, we all struggle with self-control because it's hard. We all do. Self-control is a real daily battle. And for some of us, it's our tongue. There are different types of tongue people, right? So you might be struggling to control gossiping. You might be one of those people who just loves to tell other people's business. You love the taste of someone else's name in your mouth. But the truth is, who doesn't? Or you might have a sharp tongue, like a two-edged sword, living and active. (laughs) And before you realize it, you're telling people about themselves. But not for their own good, but because it makes you feel better. And I won't even start to talk about the blunt-tongued people, the monotone, cynical, sarcastic lot, who insult you and you barely catch it, or you realize about 30 seconds after. Or maybe your struggle's not with your tongue. Maybe your struggle's with deadlines, and you know you have that piece of work to get in in two weeks' time, and you're like, oh, I'll do it, but I'll just watch this TV program first. Or maybe it's, I'll just eat because otherwise I won't be able to concentrate. Or worse still, maybe you'll start other tasks that are worthwhile, but lower in priority. And at the end of the day, you come to the point where you leave yourself so little time to do what you need to do. Now, Peter's not simply saying, hold it down. I know life is hectic. People are stressful and pressures are coming from all sides, but just hold it down. He's not hitting you with a stick and saying, see, it hurts, change. Rather, Peter's focus, like all the apostles, is past and future glory. Past and future glory which find their way into the here and now. Also, he's not just saying, behave so you can be part of the party. He assumes that as a believer, you really do wrestle against the lack of self-control. What he wants is for you to overcome it as much as you can or as much as a person can in this lifetime so that you would pray earnestly and make good choices. And the same reason that you have for praying is the same reason that will lead you into self-control. The end of all things is at hand. (laughs) The end is nigh. 
People used to evangelize wearing these boards on their front and their back called sandwich boards. And you still do see some people today. <coughs> and you see them like around shopping malls or wherever you see a crowd of people. And they're calling people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And in England, they might say something about how unless you turn to Jesus and away from your sin, you'll end up in hell. But at least from films, you tend to get the idea that in America, the dominant phrase was, the end is nigh! <laughs> it was written on these boards and people would call it out of their megaphones. The end is near, or as the ESV puts it at hand. And it's so close that you can almost reach out and touch it. But what does it mean? Well, history up to this point is divided into about three equal parts. And I know there's lots of biblical scholars in here who might disagree, but that works for my message, so I'm going to keep it like that. Thank you. <laughs> Part one was in the Garden of Eden, where everything was great. God was actively and discernibly present in the lives of humans. His glory radiated around them, and humans had unrestricted access to God. <clears throat> they had security and purpose. There was no death, disease, or even physical injury. Work was satisfying, and so were relationships. Creation was good. There were no tsunamis, no earthquakes or hurricanes, no forest fires, no extreme temperatures, and definitely no mosquitoes. Everything was beautiful. Part two. Part two began from the point where the first humans disobeyed God and rebelled against his only commandment. Now the consequence was that God's glorious presence was no longer with humans in the personal way it was before. There were also other consequences. Spiritual death. Along with this came illness and physical death. Now part three starts with God the Father. The first person of the Trinity sending God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, to rescue humans who have inherited a rebellious nature from the first humans who disobeyed God. But what did the Father send the Son to rescue us from? Well, the Father sent the Son to rescue us from himself, from his wrath, from his anger, from his righteous anger. In the section above our text, in verse 5, talking about people who indulge excessively in pleasure, Peter says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now there's a time when Jesus will return to earth, but he will not return as a savior, he will return as a judge. He'll judge the living and the dead, and those who trust in his work that he has done to satisfy God's anger will be saved. Those who trust in their own work will find out that it wasn't good enough. And after this, the world as we know it will come to an end and be remade. All the death, all the illness and disease, all the violence and murder, all the natural disasters, and all the late trains, gone. <laughs> your new birth, your recreation, all of the, the things that started on the cross at Calvary will be complete. Amen. The sin you wrestle with will be gone. And you'll be able to say, he who started a good work in me was faithful to complete it. Yes. 
difficult relationships gone. God's presence amongst his people back in full force. Every last juicy drop in Technicolor, 3D surround sound. And you'll spend eternity getting to know him as intimately as he knows you. The end of all things is at hand. Now someone's thinking, but if the end of things was all at, ha- was at hand when Peter was writing, then why are we still here now? What I want you to do is, in your own time, look at 2 Peter 3, 8 to 10. 2 Peter 3, 8 to 10. The end is only near because of the redeeming work that Christ did on the cross, sorry, that Christ did on the cross to buy back humanity and creation from the grip of death and corruption. Jesus, God's only unique son, lived a perfect life of obedience and died on the cross to make the nature of all things new. Turn to Colossians 1:15 to 22. It's an amazing passage. I'm just going to read it together. Colossians 1:15 to 22. Okay, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through him all things have been reconciled to himself whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. This is the only reason that there's hope for a new earth, for a new creation or for a new you. The future is a given for all of those who trust in Christ. That's it. That's it. All of those who turn from living rebellion, living for self, satisfying self, and turn to God. The full unrestricted glory of God, apart from and in and through all creation, manifest in multiple and endless ways, awaits you in the future. And that's it. Your expected end is unrestricted pleasure. Unrestricted pleasure. Unimaginable, total pleasure. And it's all righteous. And there's nothing, not one thing, that you owe to God in order to be with him. I know it's a shocking thing to say, but you owe God nothing. Not one thing. 
Every last duty, every last loving service, past, present, and future that you fail to give God has been given perfectly by Jesus Christ. Fully and totally. God sent him to rescue you, and you are in him. So, in light of what's ahead of you, pray that God's glory would be seen through you so that others would be able to enjoy the same future. And by you, so that as Peter puts it in verse 6, you would continue to live in the spirit the way God does. Likewise, you're no longer enslaved to sin and death. You're free from all things and all people, even God, because of the cross. You are free from all things and all people, even God, because of the cross. Now the question is, this afternoon, what will you do with your freedom? What are you going to do with your freedom this afternoon? What are you going to do with your freedom this week? In light of the promise of the prosperous future you have. What will you do with your total and complete freedom? Will you pray? Will you pray with someone this week? Will you pray for someone this week? Let's move on to verses 8 to 11. Now, verses 9 to 11 come out of verse 8, which says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And then Peter goes on in verses 9 to 11 to show how love which is a key aspect of God's glory, works in practice through his people. So verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to bring to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, one of the problems of loving um, one another earnestly, as verse 8 commands, is that we reduce it when, sorry, is that we cancel it out when we reduce it to just an expression of warmth or feeling. Now, God undeniably gives us these expressions of warmth or feeling for one another, but that's not the sum total of what it means to love one another earnestly. And I know that I'm a big failure when it comes to loving people in a real way. I want you to think to yourself of one real time when someone just feeling or expressing their love for you covered a multitude of sins. Now, I might be wrong, and it wouldn't be the first time that I was wrong, probably the second. (laughs) It might be possible, but Jesus Christ actually came from glory and he descended, lowered himself infinitely to our level and died to cover a multitude of sins. Because of that loving service, you are free from any obligation to fulfill the law. It has no claim on you. 
So what I'm going to say beyond this is not to compel you or coerce you or to force you or guilt you into service. It's to make you aware of the fact that you're free to choose whatever you want. But also to say, be sober-minded and consider carefully how you use your freedom. If the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, Lord of all lords, use his freedom to serve, if we say that we love him, whether a lot or a little, we should consider our freedom very carefully. <clears throat> so from verses 9 to 11, Peter is showing how God is glorified when our love for one another is expressed in service to one another. Why? Because everything we've received is from God, especially our love for one another. I mean, no one, loves, no one here loves me because I'm lovable. Maybe a little bit. Um, and the only reason that I do receive real, sincere, self, self-sacrificial love from you guys is because of Christ in us. And he says that it's this type of love that covers a multitude of sins. Now, Peter's picture of grace and, and the glory of God is that we are his means of applying it to one another's lives. We're God's instruments in God's hands. Peter says some hard things. They may show us up for who we really are, but it's okay because we have repentance. We can repent. And he goes on to say in verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, I can't lie, being in church has been a moment-by-moment walk of growth for me. And I'm what's known as a misanthrope. I'm someone who dislikes and is suspicious of people. And I'm growing out of it. But I still love my own space. I do. I'm just being honest with you. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you're someone who, who likes to shut the world out. But maybe the only way that that person in sin is going to receive the wise counsel you're giving them is because of the way you've opened your home to them cooked for them, listened to them, allowed them to feel like part of your biological family. Haven't a lot of us like, really experienced that? I've felt really refreshed by the kindness of others. And I won't, I won't hot them up, but you guys probably know who I'm talking about. There are a couple here who threw me a surprise birthday party for my 30th. I know, most of you are thinking, he's over 30, wow. (laughs) What can I say? It's natural juices and berries, you know? (laughs) Anyway, I I was stunned, partly because it was like a month after my birthday. but partly because I was shown a love beyond my comprehension, a love beyond my own ability to give or to receive. And in it, I saw the love of God, and he was glorified in and through the people who were there. 
as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, we're quick to agonize over our gifts, aren't we? Be like, oh, man, I just don't know if I'm gifted. (sighs) What has God gifted me with? Or, nah, I could never do that. Or the more spiritual version, no, no, that's not my calling. (laughs) And I don't want to get into a hoo-ha about spiritual gifts. The truth is that maybe some of us are just not made for particular types of ministry. However, I have a couple of observations. Observation one, we have all received gifts. We have all received gifts. That's it for observation number one. That's it. Observation number two. You might be right for a type of ministry and not know it because you haven't even tried. I remember when um, Brother Mike Prendergast started um, here at Calvary. And he was really quiet, like really quiet and reserved, and he still is to some extent. And I remember having a conversation with him and he was just telling me how he wanted to get the gospel out to large groups of people. He wanted to evangelize, but he didn't feel able to do it. He was just really afraid at the prospect of it. But look at him now, he runs the evangelism ministry, or he heads it up, should I say. Jesus runs it. Um, But he heads it up and he's like Batman crossed with the Apostle Peter now. I just want to encourage you this morning just to have a go at something. Have a go at something. Observation three. We all have gifts that we take for granted. We all have gifts that we take for granted. For example, the vast majority of us, particularly men, have the God-given gift of being able to move chairs. Yet week in and week out, And week in and week out, and week in and week out, we stand by as Brother Bertram and his extremely diligent sons, Uzuma and Kashape, do the majority of the work, making the church ready for Monday. Now, if every man, maybe not if every man here, but when everyone comes back from Austria, (laughs) grabbed a couple of chairs each, we'd have it done in no time at all. Now, the same goes for children's ministry. Parents, you have the gift of teaching. You have the gift of teaching children. If every parent signed up to children's, you'd probably have to do it like once every five years or something. Neil can check that. (coughs) The same goes for the hospitality team and so on. And I think if we acted like this in all areas of the church, we would cover a lot of our brothers and sisters from the sins of bitterness, unrighteous anger, backbiting, slander, unbelief, and so on, and so on. And the question is this afternoon, 
What are you going to choose to do? What are you going to choose to do? Now you can acknowledge what is said, and listen to what I've said, and you can not act, and you can complain when you don't like how the church functions. Or you can choose to get involved somewhere. I want to say clearly that this is not coercion. You are genuinely free to choose whatever you want. But what I do want to say is that I'm just highlighting the choices you have and the, and the choices that you've been choosing one way or another. Verse 10 and 11 really highlight the godness of our service. Verse 10 and 11 say, we're stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now that's a massive responsibility. God gives a variety of grace for a variety of people and we have to look after it well. It's really incomprehensible apart from by his spirit. He entrusts us with his prophetic words, the words of true life, as Peter put it in John. And like the verse says, they're God's oracles. They belong to God. <coughs> now, most of us have a healthy fear of messing around with God's word. We don't want to add to it or take away from it. You know, we don't want those curses. We do our very best not to mess around with it because it's God's. The very words he's spoken. But what about the next part of the verse? What are we doing with the strength that God supplies? Do we acknowledge in a real way that God supplies the strength? And do we have a healthy fear of messing around with the strength that God supplies? So, my last question to you this morning is, what are you going to do with the strength that God has given you? What are you going to do with the strength that God has given you? And as I wrap up, let me say this. If you do want to see God's glory in your life and in the lives of others in this church, we're able to pray. We're able to show hospitality and to serve each other in love. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, um, I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray that in spite of me and my flaws, Lord God, that you would speak to your people. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ loved us. He first loved us while we were sinners. Lord, and because of that, we can know you, we can know your glory. I pray that it wouldn't be merely talk, Lord God, 
but I pray that um, we would use our freedom to serve others in love. For the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ben. Praise God for your life. Um, yeah, so as we close, I think it would be appropriate if we just direct our attention to the Lord through praise. And um, this song says, love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. I'm yours, I'm forever yours. Mountain high or valley low, I sing out to remind my soul that I'm yours, I'm forever yours. Lord Jesus, it is our prayer, Lord, that we would always be reminded of, of the grace that's been given to us through Christ. And Lord, just to, just to understand, Lord, the, the depth of your love, Lord, and how much you, you condescended yourself um, to come down and, and serve us.
call that um, God's word makes to every one of us, particularly <laughs> those observations that every one of us is gifted. And there's a call that, that's been made for every one of us. And yeah, none of us is exempt. None of us is exempt. Even us standing here and speaking, we all need to exercise the gift that God has placed in our lives. So I'm going to call on um, care team, Mark, if you catch Jones here. Neil. <laughs> yeah, this guy's up front here. I mean, if the word that God's spoken to us today indeed resonates, God is able, his word is sharper than any two-edged sword to even speaks down to the discerning of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. It's not so much what we say or what we hear, but actually what we do, what we hear of God's word. So, I mean, that call is not just Ben speaking. It's probably things that people have spoken to us before. People have spoken to us recently or in the past, or something that we've heard and just brush it on the carpet. Nah, God, this can wait. But the end of all things is near. The word speaks about David after he had fulfilled God's will and done all God's charge for him in his generation. Which one of us is going to live forever if Jesus tarries? So the guys up front here, we're all available Let's pray with you. Come, let's, let's, let's stand together and agree as to what it is that God is laying on our hearts to do, what God's given us to exercise. Maybe there are things that, look, I'm just afraid to step out and, and, and go believing what God has laid on my heart to do. Come, let's pray. Let's pray about these things and commit ourselves to God for real. It's not for sure. It's between us, each one of us, and God. I mean, I was tempted to just sit back and because sit back because this concerns me too. But no, let's pray. So come forward and let's pray with you.